0: My name is Frank Lucas, I am one of the pastors here at Community Covenant Church. Uh, My wife Katie and I have the privilege of serving each and every week uh, with our kids downstairs and out in beginnings, our our littlest ones, and uh, on Wednesday nights throughout the week we have a a huge team of folks that are devoted to just ensuring uh, that the youngest of the young, uh, all the way up through high school, um, start off with a strong foundation in their faith and uh, it's a privilege that we get to do that and it's a privilege that I get to serve with you this morning. It's one of my favorite Sundays of the year, Family Worship Sunday. Uh, it's, a, it's a time of year uh, in this gathering where it sort of unofficially marks the beginning of summer for us here at church. We switch things over towards a new summer series. We have some of the programs for our kids and students are uh, kind of shut down today, and we invite them all to come into the gathering. So if you are Uh, a child that would normally be in one of the rooms downstairs, if you're a kid in K-6, through or you're a student, uh, this is your chance to just make some noise, so can you guys on the count of three just make a little noise for me, one, two, three. All right, so I'm downstairs every week, and when I try to ask you to be quiet, it doesn't go so well, so we're going to try it again, one, two, three, make some noise, go. All right, so that's how it's going to be. Um, but we're, we're going to have some fun regardless. We're going to have some fun regardless. But I love this Sunday because it's an opportunity for us as a church, multi-generationally, to come together into worship. You know, when we're singing those songs, "Nothing but the Blood of Jesus," or uh, it, it, we're just we're, we're talking about how we're alive and we're worshiping. I love the fact that as adults, we have the opportunity to model worship for our children. Uh, what a privilege! What an honor it is to do that. What an opportunity to dive into God's Word together. What a great opportunity to actually open the Bible with our little ones and point and say, see that on the screen? That's, that's what we're looking at. That's what we're reading. This is God's Word. Um, we, have, we have such an amazing opportunity this morning, um, and that's something that I love. It's, it's awesome. So but that being said, here we are. In just a few short weeks from now, a couple of short weeks, Sunday, July 15th, Uh, We are going to be clearing out this room after church, getting rid of all the chairs. We're going to be building walls in the cafe and putting up decorations and clearing out all the rooms downstairs, setting up tents and getting all sorts of things ready to go for the biggest event of the entire year that we do here at Community Covenant Church. And that event would be, who knows it? Summer Challenge. We have Summer Challenge coming up in a couple weeks. And the theme for Summer Challenge is you guys are getting the hang of it we're good we're good all right the theme for summer challenge this year is amped and we're going to have uh close to 200 kids come in these doors every single morning we're going to have 80 volunteers come through the doors every single morning ready to hear about what it's like to be fully alive to live fully alive and so over the next couple of weeks what we're going to do on sunday mornings is we're going to take some of that content and bring it to you so for all the kids in the room who are coming to summer challenge you're going to get a little sneak peek at day one. Does that sound good? I promise I won't talk as long during Summer Challenge as I'm going to do today. But we're going to start to dive into that content. And over the next few weeks, we're going to go through some of that content and so we can prepare our hearts for all the work that God's going to be doing in the lives of all those that come here. The theme for this year is Amped, Live Fully Alive. And it comes from a verse, John 10, chapter 10. And it reads this. It says, I've come so that they may have life. I want them to have it in the fullest possible way. I love this verse. Every single time I preach, whether it's up here or on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday morning, ask any of the kids, I say that verse every single week. I've come so that they may have life, and I want them to have it in the fullest possible way. And that's something worth being excited about. That's something worth being amped up about. So over the next couple weeks, we're going to be teasing out. We're going to be teasing out what Jesus meant when he said this. We're going to be teasing out what it means to live fully alive. Now, I truly believe, so diving right into this morning, I truly believe that we have the ability, we have the ability that we can overcome, we can tackle, we can, we can persevere through anything, through anything that life throws at us. I truly believe that we can tackle or overcome absolutely anything that life throws at us. Whether it's the passing of someone that you care about, whether it's losing someone, uh, maybe it's uh, some, a struggle in your family, maybe it's a job, uh, some sort of rejection, addiction, I don't know what it is, but I truly believe that we can overcome that. And there's a passage that the Apostle Paul wrote in the Book of Romans that we often refer to uh, here at church, and I, again, I refer to it with the kids and the students all the time, Romans 8.28. It says, and we know, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. See, this is a verse that I think is often misunderstood. It's one that we share all the time, but sometimes I think we hear it and we hear something different than what it says. We sometimes read this verse or we sometimes hear this verse uh, when when there's teaching going on and we think that as long as we believe in Jesus, everything's going to be perfect. Nope. As as long as we have faith, we think that everything's going to be absolutely perfect. And sometimes we think that because we have faith in Jesus that we won't ever lose our job. We think that we won't ever lose someone that we care about. We think that we won't, we won't get sick, or we won't fall ill, or we think that we won't fail our English or physics final, even though we didn't study for it. We think that, like this, we we think that we won't get bullied on the playground, or we or we won't have an issue with, uh, with maybe on social media with some of our friends or we won't have family feuds or whatever it may be, we read this verse and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And we hear, God's gonna make my life awesome. But that's not what the verse says. That's not what the pastor is saying. It's saying that God can use all of that. God can use all that junk. He can use your greatest pain. He can use your greatest trial. He can use the deepest, darkest seasons of your life, the scariest moments of your life, And he can bring good from the ashes. He can turn it into a beautiful masterpiece. And and here's the thing. I say that to you, and I think we know it. But we don't know it. I think we know it, but we don't really know it. It, It's something that we know, we read, and, and it makes sense, but yet we don't live it out. We don't believe it. But what would it look like if we did? What would it look like if we were to take this passage of Scripture, understanding John 10.10, I've come so that you could have life and have it to the fullest, and then Romans 8 and say, and we know that God causes everything for the good of those who serve him and are called according to his purpose. Like, what if we were to live this out? What if we were to live every day like you knew God was with you, no matter what the circumstances around you dictated towards you? I think one of the greatest, most amazing stories uh, and examples of this in all the scripture is the story of Joseph. Not the story of Mary and Joseph and and baby Jesus, but rather Joseph, the son of Jacob. It's one of the first stories in all the Bible. So I'm going to invite you this morning to turn to the first book of the Bible. And if you're a kid, I want you to shout out what that book is. Ready? On two, one, two, three, go. You guys are not participating well today. All right. Um, that's one of our rules downstairs is participation, and uh, so we're going to try that again. First book of the Bible, one, two, three. I'm going to keep trying. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm going to keep trying. Thank you. <laughs> now I'm going to cry. So I invite you to turn with your, in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. Uh, it's pretty early on. Uh, in God's Word. It's the first book of the Bible. I think it may be page 33, if I'm not not mistaken, on the Bibles on your seats. And I invite the kids to open up the Bibles too. Um, I'd rather you not color them, but whatever, we'll figure it out. We're going to take a look at the life of Joseph. And through his story, we're going to see how he was able to live every day knowing that God was with him. We're going to be going through a lot of Scripture this morning, I'm not going to lie to you. We're going to be fast-forwarding from chapter 37, going probably all the way through 50 real, real quick, um, but I encourage you to follow along as a family, and I encourage you to maybe take some time throughout the week to go back to the story and kind of fill in some of the things that we skip over this morning. So while you're turning to Genesis chapter 37 on page 33, I want to provide you <laughs> I want to provide you with some context around some of the family dynamics uh, in which Joseph lived. Joseph was the 11th son of Jacob. 11. There were 12 in total. I have four. (laughs) Not the participation I was looking for, but we're going to roll with it. Um, someone find Kate and tell her that we got a ways to go. Um, (laughs) We do not have a ways to go. We are stopping at four because at four, our hands are absolutely full. I cannot imagine having 12 children, 12 sons nonetheless. Lindbergh's, you guys have five. Imagine seven more. All right, like that's nuts. That's absolutely nuts. All right, think about like dinner time. All right, have you ever made more than one meal at dinner because of your kids? Twelve kids. Twelve kids. It's nuts. It's nuts. And and here's the thing, to make it a little more interesting. Out of the twelve, Joseph was number eleven. There was only one son younger than him, Benjamin. We'll talk about that in a second. But the ten brothers who came before Joseph were from different moms. So this was a a little bit of an interesting dynamic in the family, to say the least. Joseph and Benjamin, the two youngest, numbers eleven and number twelve, uh, were, were the youngest, and, and they were really kind of the favorites uh, of Jacob, Father Jacob. But he, here's the thing. Joseph was actually a little more favorite than Benjamin, and here's why, I believe, is because Benjamin, uh, during his birth, Jacob's wife Rachel passed away giving birth to, to Ben. And, and so I think Joseph was really his favorite because it was a good reminder of his favorite wife, of of, of, Joseph, uh, of his wife Rachel. So here's the thing. Joseph grows up being the favorite son I have four kids, and if you ask them who the favorite is, they all say, me. Like, they all say it. If you have 12 kids and you have a favorite, they're all going to think they're the favorite. But here's the deal. In Joseph's family, they didn't think they were the favorite. There was one clear favorite. And who was it? We're getting a little better. Who was it? All right. So Joseph grows up being his favorite son. He's a reminder, a good reminder of Rachel. But conflict here is not new to Jacob. So this isn't the only conflict. In fact, if we go back, we hear that Jacob is the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham, but Jacob had a brother named Esau, and Jacob actually went through great lengths to deceive his father to earn his brother Esau's birthright. Like, great lengths. It's an unbelievable story to go back and read uh, with your family and and just to talk about. But Jacob and his family, when he was younger, all the way through to his adulthood and to uh, his children, we're not strangers to drama. They were not strangers to drama. Let's say drama was normal. If this was today, there would be a reality TV show called Jacob and His 12 Sons. There was a lot going on. I'm not joking about that. There would legitimately be a reality TV show about this. Yeah, 12 kids. <laughs> See, this is good. We're getting better. We're getting better. So 12 kids in counting. That's the name of the sermon. All right. So Genesis 37. So we're going to open up there and we're going to start right at verse 2. Verse 37, starting at verse 2, we're going to read through verse 5. It says, this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilah and Ziplah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that his brothers were doing. He was a tattletale. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift uh, made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. So here we are. It's bad enough to be the favorite son, but to be a tattletale on top of it. He brings bad reports back to his father all the time about his half-brothers. He wears this beautiful robe that we believe to have many colors on it, this technicolor rainbow coat, if if you will. And and it's like this reminder to the other 11 that he's the favorite. Like, Joseph doesn't even try to hide it. He's like, no, that's the guy. He's my favorite. He acts and he talks like he's superior to his brother's. And he keeps having these crazy dreams. And if you read on the text, you'll see that he actually interprets one of these dreams and actually tells his family about it and says, guess what, guys? One day you're going to bow down to me. How do you think that went over? Pretty poorly. It went over pretty poorly. I'm not sure why he chose to tell his brothers the dreams he had, but whatever his motive was, whatever the motivation was, it fed that hatred that the brothers had towards him. And despite the fact that his brothers hated him, his father sends him out continuously to report on him. I, I, I imagine Jacob was a pretty smart guy. He understood the dynamics, but yet he sent his son out to report on them. And here's the thing. They wanted him out of the family desperately. He was that kid no one wanted around. So verse 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, and how they saw him coming because he had the beautiful robe that reminded them, that Joseph was the favorite. So when Joseph's brother saw him coming, they recognized him way off in the distance. And as they approached, they made plans to, to kill him. That's awful. All right, how many of you have ever had a fight with a brother or a sister? You're all lying. <laughs> well, not all of you, the ones that didn't raise your hand. If you've ever had a fight in your family, a feud, right? Like you, you maybe plot maybe a little revenge, but you don't plan to kill him. Right? like They literally hated Joseph so much that they planned to kill him. And I personally, I've, I've been in the middle of some pretty big feuds. I've been in the middle of some pretty big disagreements, and I've never, never, ever lied in my bed at night, and I was like, all right, well, if I do this, and no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I looked into the lights, and now I can't read anything. She's going to have to give me a minute. All right. Seriously, all I see is spots right now. Um, but for Joseph, um, fortunately for Joseph, fortunately for Joseph, his older brother Reuben taught his brothers out of killing him. That's good. His oldest brother, the, the first son of Jacob, taught his brothers out of killing him. But what they decide to do? Instead of killing him, they said, hey, you know what? Let's just throw him in a well. <laughs> Way better, right? <laughs> like, let's just throw him in a well. And so they're thinking, yeah, not a bad idea. We'll throw him in the well. He'll just die there. But secretly, in verse 22, we read that Reuben actually wanted to kind of save the day and rescue his uh, brother. So that that was awesome. But here's the thing. That plan backfired. You want to know why? Because off in the distance, the brothers saw why Jacob was in the bottom of the well, uh, Joseph was in the well. They saw some traders off in the distance, and they said, ha-ha, rather than just leave him here, let's make some money. Let's make some money. So for 20 pieces of silver, they were able to do away with their brother once and for all. They sold him. They sold their brother. I know Emma right now is thinking like, dad, I can sell Frankie, right? She's like, we'll do a lemonade stand, be like, buy 10 cups, you get him, right? Um, no, all right? But here's the thing, they sold him. And, and then what they did was they took his robe and they killed a the goat and they got some blood and they smeared it all over the coat and they brought the, the beautiful coat back to Jacob and like, here, he died, he got eaten. They completely lied and they made some money on the side. It was awful. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes for just a moment. Put yourself in, Joseph, in yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment. Imagine, imagine what he's thinking. How can this happen? I'm the favorite. I've been obedient. I've done everything that's been asked of me to the absolute best of my ability my entire life. What about all those dreams I had? I imagine lying in the bottom of the well thinking, but wait a second, like arguing with God at this point. Like, remember those dreams, God, where they were going to bow down to me? Like, Hello? I'm in a well. There's no way this is going to happen. How could God possibly make any good of this? See, Joseph was obedient, yet despised by his family. At the ripe old age of only 17 years old, his entire world was completely flipped upside down. And the only thing that kept him going was the fact that he lived every day, despite his circumstances, knowing that God was with him. So for many, this would be the end of the story. But yet for Joseph, this was really just the beginning of the story. This is really where it starts. This minor setback was just the beginning of something greater, something amazing. So now we're gonna skip ahead to chapter 39. Skip ahead of page 39. Verse one, when Joseph was taken to Egypt, so he was sold into slavery to the Midianites, when he he was taken to Egypt, Uh, by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. But verse two says what? The Lord was with Joseph. Didn't seem like it. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Joseph, slave now for 11 years. Fast forward, age 28 years old. He's been a slave for all of his adult life. He doesn't know anything else. And despite his difficult circumstances, continues to serve obediently. He honored God, worked hard at absolutely everything he did. Anything that was ever assigned to him, he did, and he did it to the fullest extent that he could. He served Potiphar enthusiastically. He served him with honor. He served him with great character, with great integrity. And undoubtedly, God was pleased with Joseph despite despite the circumstances that he was in. Soon, Joseph became Potiphar's right-hand man. He's running the household. Everything is going wonderfully well. Verse 6, so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. Not some of it, not one room, everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Not bad. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Why'd they put that in there? (laughs) Next verse. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. We'll stop there. This is where the story turns. Everything was starting to tick up. Everything was starting to look up. It seemed like Joseph's life was starting to somewhat be redeemed. But Potiphar's wife continued to put pressure on Joseph day after day after day. And day after day, Joseph Joseph maintained his integrity. He was being severely tested, severely tested. But his godly character continued to shine through the most difficult of circumstances. He never wavered. Finally, Potiphar's wife, what does she do? She devises this elaborate plan to get everyone out of the house except for her and for the well-built young man, Joseph. She arranged time for the two of them to be alone. And here's the thing, Joseph walked right into that trap. He didn't see it coming. But even then, Joseph refused and continued to obey God and serve his master, Potiphar, faithfully. When he left, she tore his cloak, again his robe, She tore his cloak and she made up a story about what happened. And then she told her husband. Skip ahead to verse 20. It says, so she took Joseph and threw him into, uh, excuse me. So he, Potiphar, took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. I had a really hard time with that verse. That last line, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. I had a hard time understanding, why was that in there? Why is that verse there? And so as I did a little digging, come to find out, the crime Joseph supposedly committed would have been penalized by capital punishment. So to us reading that, we look and see, like, well, how is God faithful to Joseph in this moment? But at that time, someone reading the story, understanding it, would have said, oh, he was in prison, should have been executed, should have been killed. So God was showing himself that he's being faithful, that there's, there's more to the story. Joseph knew that God had a plan for him, even though he was in prison, because God didn't let him die. In Genesis, we never really hear about the prison conditions that Joseph faced, but we read that his feet uh, were, uh, excuse me, they were bru- they bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Um, I had to look up fetters just to make sure. Fetters are shackles. We don't use the word fetters very often, but I imagine... Imagine this, it was kind of like a throwback to what he experienced when we read earlier when he was in the bottom of the well. No hope, no way of escaping, chained by his feet, chained by his neck, abandoned by the very people he cared for and served faithfully over and over. Once again, once again, Joseph did the right thing and he was punished for it. Once again, Joseph did the right thing, and he was punished for it. He should have been honored for his godly character. He should have been honored for his godly character, his unwavering integrity. It should have been Potiphar's wife who was slandered for her her moral pursuit of Joseph. But no, despite how honorable Joseph was, he was the one that was slandered. Joseph was obedient to his father, yet despised by his family. Joseph was honorable to Potiphar, yet uh, slandered by his wife. And yet again, Joseph, Joseph followed God's will, and it seemed like he was being punished for it. The sense of injustice in Joseph's life as you read the story becomes overwhelming. It becomes almost unbearable. It was completely unfair, it was completely unwarranted, but God was positioning Joseph for something amazing. God was positioning Joseph for something greater, something that only God would be able to get the credit for. So, fast forward again, chapter 40. Joseph is in prison, and we hear of two high ranking men, a baker and a cupbearer. Not high ranking in my world, but cool. They ended up in prison. They had dreams, we hear. And if you remember back in the beginning of the message, we learned that Joseph was familiar with dreams. We learn that Joseph was good at interpreting dreams. So he went to the men, noticed that they were anxious, and offered up to explain what their dreams meant. And listen to what Joseph said. Listen to this. I love this. Nope, back one more. Right where you were. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Don't read that less that part. Interpreting dreams is God's business. Tell them to me. Like, think about that for a second. Joseph's in prison. He's been in prison for a long time. The baker and the cupbearer these two uh, high-ranking officials in, in the empire, all right, uh, under Pharaoh's rule, rule, had these dreams. Joseph sees they're anxious and goes to them, and he says, interpreting dreams is entirely God's business. So why don't you tell them to me? Think about that for a second. Think about how that would have sounded. But when we actually read that verse, what do we, what do we hear? We hear that Joseph undoubtedly believes that God is with him in the prison that despite his circumstances, he knows that God is still present and still very much a part of his life. Even when everything everything that happened, Joseph still, beyond the shadow of a doubt, believed that God was with him. So skip down. He's going to interpret the dream. This is what the dream means, Joseph says. The three branches represent the three days. Within the three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to the position as chief cupbearer. We could spend... Weeks talking through this passage. We won't. But please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. You would assume that the cupbearer would have been a good friend to Joseph. After all, he gave him some good advice. All he was asking to do was a little, put in a good word. Put in a good word for me. Joseph provided hope to a man that had no hope. That's a simple request to say, put in a word. When you get back to the palace, would you you share with Pharaoh how I helped you? But does the cupbearer remember Joseph? Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, verse 23, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Joseph doesn't have any interaction with the cupbearer moving forward at this point. He has no idea that he had been forgotten. Joseph's in prison. The cupbearer's out living his life. Joseph's sitting there hoping that at some point someone's going to come get him because he, t- the cupbearer told Pharaoh what happened. So for two more years, he's stuck in the prison hoping that he's not forgotten. He was mistreated by his brothers. He was mistreated by Potiphar's wife, mistreated by Potiphar. And when it seemed like he finally had some hope, his friends betrayed him and he was forgotten. He was obedient to his father, despised by his family. Honorable to Potiphar, but slandered by his wife. And he was faithful to his calling, but yet forgotten by his friends. Joseph is having a rough go of it at this point. Joseph is having a pretty rough go of it at this point. But here's the thing. In all this, Joseph knew that he had not been forgotten by God. Joseph knew that he had not been forgotten by God. In every part of this story, we hear how God was with Joseph. Every step along the way, as you read through the text, there's those lines like God was with Joseph, God was faithful, God loved Joseph, over and over and over and over again. And Joseph didn't just know it, he believed it. We learn from the text that Pharaoh now is going to have a dream. Pharaoh's going to have a dream. And guess what? Pharaoh's going to ask for someone to help interpret the dream. And who knows a good interpreter? The cupbearer. The cupbearer knows a great interpreter. So finally, he remembers Joseph. Imagine how reluctant Joseph would have been at this point, though, right? He was obedient to his father. What happened? Thrown into a well. They wanted to kill him, sold into slavery. He was honorable to Potiphar and to his wife. What happened? Slandered, thrown in prison. He told the cupbearer, just put in a good word for me. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to interpret your dream for you. What happened? Forgotten. So here we are again, but now it's Pharaoh. There's no one higher than Pharaoh. He has a dream. So what do you think Joseph's thinking? I know what I'd be thinking, fool me once, shame on me, right? Not Joseph. Every other time he did what he thought was right, he was mistreated. But Joseph remained faithful. Joseph remained faithful to God, faithful to his calling, and interpreted Pharaoh's dreams for him. And Joseph was finally, finally recognized for his faithfulness. Verse 40, Chapter 41, verse 37 says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Things were finally starting to turn around for Joseph. He was now number two in all of Egypt. There was no one else in Egypt. I love this story. There was no one else in all of Egypt that was higher than Joseph, except for Pharaoh. Joseph, the younger brother thrown into the well, wanted to leave him for dead, sold him into slavery, sold him into slavery a second time, left to rot in prison. Now, the second highest person in all of Egypt. Things were going his way, it was unbelievable. We're gonna fast forward again quite a little bit here. And at this point in the story, we're nearly 20 years post Joseph being thrown into the well. 20 years have gone by, 20 years have gone by. He predicted uh, that there'd be a great famine when he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams for him. But because of Joseph's leadership, not only were the Egyptian people saved, but yet the surrounding nations were saved as well. Multitudes from all over Egypt went to, uh, excuse me, multitudes from all over Egypt went to Egypt for provision. Joseph's brothers were also affected by the famine. We don't have time to go through the entire account here, but Joseph's brothers ended up traveling to Egypt. And when they arrived, Joseph's dreams were finally fulfilled. Over 20 years 20 years, that's a long, long season of life. It took 20 years for Joseph's dream to be fulfilled, where his brothers would finally bow at his feet. They didn't know who he was, but Joseph knew right away who they were. Imagine what's running through his mind at this point. Think about it, it's been 20 years. You've been holding on to this for 20 years. Imagine Imagine the angst, the excitement. I don't know about you, but I'd be thinking thinking about what I was going to say for 20 years. You know like those conversations you have in the shower? Like, like, oh, if I see that person again, right? (laughs) 20 years he's holding on to this. But in that moment, Joseph was tested, but he tested his brothers as well. He wanted them to know. He wanted to know if they had changed. It turns out they had in chapter 45 of Genesis, Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers. I encourage you, so so strongly encourage you to go back and to read the story. But verse 4 says this, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. Remember me, guys? Remember how I told you you were going to bow at my feet? Remember that? Someone's waving to me through the window. I don't know who it is. But remember how I told you you were going to bow at my feet? It's me. It's Joseph. It's Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. But don't be upset, and don't be angry with yourselves. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God, not you, it was God who sent me here. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Let that sink in for a moment don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Joseph was able to be fully alive, fully alive in the midst of the greatest adversities because he lived every single day knowing that God was with him. Every single day. Thousands of years before Paul wrote this passage of scripture, Thousands of years before Paul wrote this passage of Scripture in Romans, Joseph knew it, but he didn't just know it, he knew it. He believed it, and he lived it. That passage, Romans 8, it says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Everything in Joseph's life happened at just the right moment and was used to bring glory to God. Everything in Joseph's life happened at just the right moment and was used to bring glory to God. I want you to think about the implications of this statement for a moment. Everything was used at just the right moment and was used to bring glory to God. At just the right moment, At just the right moment, his brothers threw him into the well. At just the right moment, the Midianites came along. At just the right moment, he was sold into slavery. At just the right moment, he was sold into slavery a second time. At just the right moment, Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. At just the right moment, he was thrown into prison. At just the right moment, his life was spared. At just the right moment, he met the baker in the cupbearer. At just the right moment, he was forgotten by his friends. But at just the right moment, he was remembered. At just the right moment, Pharaoh called on him. At just the right moment, Joseph was promoted to second in command. At just the right moment, there was a great famine famine that came all over the land. And at just the right moment, Jacob, his father, sent his brothers, who left him for dead, to go to Egypt. At just the right moment, his brothers met Joseph and were reunited with him. And at just the right moment, Joseph forgave them freely. At just the right moment, Jacob's family moved to Egypt. They were offered a piece of land, and there they prospered. And out of that lineage comes the Son of Man. All of this happened at just the right moment in just the right way. That is the providence of God. That is the providence of the God that we serve. Thousands of years before Jesus, we see a man after God's own heart in Joseph. Joseph was dearly loved by his father. Joseph was a shepherd to his father's sheep. Joseph was tempted. Joseph was hated by his brothers. Joseph was stripped of his clothing not once but twice. Joseph was also falsely accused. Joseph was imprisoned, condemned, but yet Joseph forgave freely. Joseph suffered greatly at the hands of the men that he cared so deeply about, but was eventually exalted. What men did to hurt him, God used for his good, God used for his glory. What a beautiful parallel between Joseph and the life of Jesus everything in Joseph's life happened at just the right moment in the same way that everything in Jesus' life happened at just, the right way, at just the right moment and in the same way that everything in our lives happens at just the right moment. Everything in our lives happens at just the right moment and can be used to bring glory to God but the choice is ours and whether or not we will. The question is Are you gonna live like you know that God is with you or live like you know that God is with you? I know that you can, but the question is, will you? I don't know what adversity you're facing. I don't know what struggle you're in. I don't know what season of life you're going through, what loss you may have dealt with or the addiction you're wrestling with. I don't know what hardships your family's enduring, but what I do know is this, is though we may not always understand what God is up to, though we may not always understand what God is up to, what we do know is this, if we want to live life to the fullest, if we want to live fully alive, we need to live every day knowing, believing that God is with us and that He can make all things work to the good of those who serve Him and are called according to His purpose. Amen?